Welcome to Chicago West Sunday Sermons, where we encourage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, equip within Christ-centered community, and engage with good works. Well, we are continuing our series. This is our last week. We've been doing a series on our values called We Are. And uh, if you see on the screen, we've been covering each week a different value. The first one was Christ-centered and Bible teaching culture. And uh, then we, uh, spirit and truth worship, these are the values that we hold to as a church, that we want to be an authentic and gracious community, uh, dependent and urgent prayer, committed and intentional witness, local and global missions, and then now this week, the last one, valued and celebrated diversity. Well, um, I've known Pastor Kent now for as long as I've been in Chicago, and so I'm literally around him more than anyone outside of my wife and kids, and so I've known you for quite a while. And so we've had the work through thinking through diversity and celebrating and race and ethnicity in this country because we're together almost every day. And his family has become my family, and my family has become his family. I think about Kent, when we first uh, planted Chicago West together um, in 2016. I remember when we were first going to, um, I can't remember the place, on uh, Central and uh, Madison. And we were going in the store, and we were in line, and one of the guys was looking at me, and I started talking to him. He just would not talk to me. I was like, hey, you all right? And he's like, what y'all cops? And I was like, I was like, no, why would you say that? And he was like, well, look how y'all dress. And I was like, I looked at Kent and I was like, man, we kind of kind of do look like plain clothes cops. So I took a picture of it. I got it on the screen here. And, uh, and uh, it was it was interesting because I mean, yeah, I was like, man, we do look like plain clothes cops. But um the thing that was interesting is, I mean, in all honesty, like, he didn't have a category for why a black guy and a white guy would be together unless we were police officers or doing something else. And so I was just like, man, that was very eye-opening for me. I never had nobody say that, I, you know, especially, you know, my story. So I was like, wow, at least you say I'm a cop now. So, um, but, um, but it wasn't just there. Like, we would go into the community meetings and be in the community, and every time we would meet with people different pastors, different agencies, we would introduce ourselves. I'd be like, hey, my name's Pastor John, and Kent would be like, hey, I'm Pastor Kent. And we never thought about saying, like, who's the senior pastors or whatever, but we would just introduce ourselves, and then automatically people would go, they would look at Kent and go, so you're the pastor, right? And then it was like, he'd be like, no, he's, he's the pastor. And then you would literally get a, oh. But it was, it was interesting because it was the idea that people didn't have a category for an older white man submitting to a younger black man. And so from that moment on, Pastor Kent, wherever we go, would always say, this is my pastor. And he would always celebrate, this is my pastor, this is my pastor. Now, that's my brother. He doesn't have to tell me. I know how much he loves me. You are my pastor. (laughs) (laughs) But he wanted, as a white man serving in a predominantly black community, he wanted everyone to know that I gladly and humbly submit to black leadership, regardless of the person's age. And so we've had the process that. So all to say is, when we talk about valuing and celebrating diversity, um, I just want to, I know you probably didn't plan for me to say that, but I want to give honor to who honor is due, that Ken has always modeled value and celebrating diversity. It wasn't about me, but it's, it's trying to say, you know what, I celebrate the image of God in this man, regardless of his skin color, and I know that he's black, and I celebrate God for that, and I gladly submit to that. Now, how do we filter? We can clap. But in a room where we just named how many, I don't know, 15 countries sitting in a room, shout out to everyone who made a dish. How do we value and celebrate one another in a world that really doesn't do that well? That's what we want to spend this time doing on our last value is we want to focus on who we are as a church. We can't speak for whoever's down the street. We can't speak for another state, another country. We can only own what God has entrusted to us. So this message will be a little different. Um, It'll be shorter. There's only two points. Uh, Kent and I are preaching that together. (laughs) I've never done that before, preach with someone else simultaneously, but I will preach the first point. He will preach the last point. And we're just going to trust the Spirit to give us insight. And here's my prayer, that in the midst of all the tension that we see historically, not just in our country but around the world, there are wars going on today. Like wars, countries are fighting wars, and there's genocide over ethnic groups and racial tension since the foundation of this world, since sin came. We need to, by the power of the Spirit, 
see past the sin to get to God's heart. And my prayer is that you would see for just the next 30 minutes or so God's heart in this. Amen? So would you just bow with me in a word of prayer and then we'll jump into the word. God, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is so weak. God, we all desire these things to truly be one. That was the prayer you prayed in John 17, that we would be one over and over, that we would be one, that we'd be one. And Satan is trying so hard to keep that from happening. God, we know in glory we will be one together. But God, we don't want to wait to heaven in glory to walk in oneness. And so, God, I just pray right now that even the topic of diversity and different ethnic groups and races and tribes and nations, it could trigger so much based on experiences. And so, God, I just pray right now, would you help us to see your heart? Would you give us during this time your eyes, your ears, your mind? We know the problems. We know the issue. But would you focus our minds and our hearts on your heart? God, may this time be dripping with your spirit, led by your spirit. God, I don't want to say anything. Pastor Kent doesn't want to say anything that you don't want to say. And God, you said that in our weakness, you are made strong. So God, would you show yourself strong at this moment? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have a copy of God's word, we're just going to be in one passage. And we're going to look to the future to try to learn much about right now. And that's Revelations chapter 7. So if you have a copy of God's word, you could turn to Revelations chapter 7. If not, your cell phone Bibles is all good. You could go on your Bible app. But I want to focus on now, when we talk about um, this, this value that we have of being a, a church that values and celebrates diversity, I just want to give you two reasons why we hold to that. And here's the first reason why. Jot this down. Because we are unique in Christ. We are unique in Christ. Now, Revelations chapter 7, verse 9, I just want to read this. We're going to be in verse 9 and 10, but this is looking forward to glory. And look what the writer says here. After this, I looked, and behold, I'm reading from the ESV, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Man, we got a good head start this morning. It ain't every tribe and nation and language in this room, but man, there's a lot here. Now, what's what's amazing is in this verse, God gives us insight into who will be present with him in glory. And what I just want to remind you of is God is never casual with words. We're casual. We use words very casually. Not him. In fact, in Matthew, Jesus said, in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, not one iota, not one word, not one period will go without being fulfilled. Every word in the law, every sentence matters. So God never uses words casually. He could have just said, if you look at verse 9, he could have just said, and after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes. You see how he could have just skipped everything else? He could have just said that, but he intentionally wanted to give you the category. He intentionally wanted to describe the uniqueness. And so he names four different things. Different nations, different tribes, different peoples, different languages. Nations, that's countries. Tribes, that's ethnicities. Peoples, that's races, languages, all different type of communication. We even see the United Nations, the UN, right? They're countries that are gathering together for the sole purpose of trying to preserve peace and order. And he says every nation... Bottom line is, every group is represented. God names their distinctions. He didn't have to. He could have just said a great multitude that no one could number was with palm branches and white robes worshiping me. No, but he wanted you to know every nation, every country, 
every tribe, every ethnicity, every people group, every language. God names their distinctions because he values each and every one of them. He created them all. And he is glorified through the beauty and diversity of his unique creation. So when we talk about glorifying God, when you celebrate the beauty of his image bearers, he is exalted and glorified. I often say here, God could have created one kind of animal, he's created thousands of kind of animals. He could have created one kind of tree, he created thousands of different trees. One kind of fish, hundreds of different kind of fish. He's created hundreds of different kinds of languages, thousands of different kind of languages. He could have just did one thing, food. We could have just had one thing to eat, and he could have made it in a way that it satisfies us every time. But the more we uh, taste the diversity of the fruits and the vegetables and the meats, we are to glorify him and say, man, this is amazing how diverse and vast the mind of God is. He says that there's billions and trillions of stars, and he knows them all by name. Many of them which we'll never, ever see. So the more you see the vastness of the diversity of his creation, the more you are moved to awe at how great this God is. He's not someone you could just put in your back pocket in your wallet or your purse. You can't just Google him to understand him. He's that complex. He is glorified through the beauty and diversity of his unique creation. Every country, all the countries are different, every language. Some of you know in different countries, in different parts of the world, you could be in a particular country, and yet in that country, even though you have the same ethnic groups or, or race, you could have a hundred different dialects and languages. Pick some countries in Africa. And each tribe has their own dialect, own different language. And he says every language, every group. So in God's eyes, no country is left out. No ethnic group is left out. No person or people are left out based upon their race. And there are no language barriers to experiencing the love and salvation of Christ. The gospel doesn't erase our ethnic and cultural distinctions. It's not now that I'm a Christ follower, I'm no longer black. In fact, no, the gospel explains it and gives our purpose to our ethnic and cultural distinctions in Christ. Now I know why I create, I'm created this way and who created me for his glory. Now here's the hard truth that we all have to struggle to embrace and the world has struggled to embrace. Because of sin... There's this deeply ingrained into the fabric of humanity, um, to, there's just this ethnic and racial superiority that we have. It's been like that from the beginning. We don't like to acknowledge it, but we filter everything through our worldview. When you go to another country, you get mad that everybody doesn't speak your language. When you sing in worship songs, you want everyone to sing in your language. As soon as we sing in everybody else's language, you stop singing. Well, why we got to do that? Everything got to be filtered through you. How you see everything, that's known as ethnocentrism. That's when you feel that your ethnicity or your group is central to everything, and you filter everything through it. Now, this was very hard, not just in our day, but also for people in Jesus' day. Roman culture, Egyptian culture, Jewish culture. And it was specifically hard for the disciples in the early church. You do recognize, right, that the reason we have deacons in any church today is because of racial and ethnic tension. That's why deacons were created. You had widows, some who were uh, uh, Hellenistic Jews, and then you had some who were Hebraic Jews. Hellenistic Jew was a person who was ethnically a Jew, but they grew up in Greek culture. They dressed like Greeks. They talked like Greeks. Everything about them was Greek. And so to other Jews, you represent the Gentiles so much and we can't stand them that you cut off. So widows weren't getting the right portion of food because they were of a different culture. And Peter had to say, and the apostles had to say, man, it's not for us to serve the tables and the food and get caught up in this. We need to keep preaching the gospel and be given to the word and prayer. So they organized deacons to make sure that everybody was getting fed and not being discriminated because of their cultural heritage. This was deeply rooted and ingrained. 
in the early church. Majority of Paul's epistles read Galatians, read Colossians, read Ephesians, read Romans. Go through the book and just read over and over, and he's trying to get two different ethnic groups to fellowship together. We don't eat the same food. We don't worship on the same days. You feel like we should be circumcised. This is a problem. It's a constant tension. Jews would walk around Samaria. Don't even want to talk to them. Jesus said, let's go to Samaria. Let's go hang out there. Let's spend a few days there. Let's take a case study and just show you how tense this was back in the day. Remember Peter? Just let's take Peter. Peter is with Jesus, and Jesus is trying to break down the wall of hostility. He says, you know what, y'all? We're going to go to Samaria. I know you think we shouldn't go there, but we're going to go there, and we're going to spend time there. Jews would literally walk by foot around Samaria. That's like skipping the north side to go to Wisconsin. Just going to walk around it. Seriously, or skipping the south side to go to Indiana. I'm just going to go all the way around it by foot or horse. I'm going to take an extra few weeks because my hatred for these people is that strong. Jesus went straight there. Tried to teach Peter. Peter didn't learn. Disciples didn't learn. Fast forward, you get to Acts chapter 10. Peter's on the rooftop worshiping. And God gives him a vision of all these different animals that Jews wouldn't eat. And said, now eat, Peter, eat, eat. And Peter says, man, you know I don't eat anything unclean. And God says, stop calling unclean what I've made clean. Guess what I want you to do, Peter? I want you to go down and talk to Cornelius, a Roman centurion. I know y'all hate the Romans. I want you to go preach the gospel to him. And Peter leads him to faith in Christ. He goes back, Peter goes back. To the apostles and tells them how God is moving amongst the Gentiles. And read what it says. It says, and there was silence. And then they praised God. Jesus was always putting people together who wouldn't be together. He takes Simon the Zealot and he puts him in discipleship community with Matthew the tax collector who, who takes advantage of his own people. And he makes them here his disciples. He says, we're going to do life together for three years and I'm going to send you out to fulfill the great commission. You know how much hatred Simon and the Zealot had to have for Matthew, the tax collector? Bro, you oppressing your own people. Finally, you would think Peter would learn. Then we get to Galatians chapter 2, and listen to what Paul says. Look at this on the screen. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, that's Jesus' brother, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Let's stop right there real quick. He said, Paul says, Peter used to eat with Gentile Christians. And when the Jewish Christians came around, he broke fellowship and wouldn't sit with them segregated himself. And Paul says this was so bad that even Barnabas got sucked into it. Now, when you read the book of Acts, here's how it describes Barnabas. Barnabas was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Yet full of faith in the Holy Spirit, he's not willing to eat with other Christians. Notice that Peter and Barnabas are doing this because they're afraid of what other people are going to think. James. Yes, the one who wrote the book of James, who was arguing how the rich and the poor should eat together. That James. This is what Paul said. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, you eating with everybody, and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles now to try to act like Jews? This ain't in step with the gospel. The gospel says in Ephesians that God has tore down the wall of hostility. It takes people who wouldn't be in relationship and puts them in relationship. Oh, yes, you will be in heaven with people you didn't want and you couldn't stand, you ain't like, and you ain't want them to be there. Now, it's easy to look at Peter and be like, well, that was just him. 
Let me ask you a question. Are you more concerned about what people think or how you will be viewed? Are you like Peter and Barnabas? Is there certain people you won't eat with? I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've had to walk alongside of people in our congregation over the years whose families have shunned them because of who they married. There's some of you right now, you don't have any category for marrying someone who doesn't look like you. Not because you feel that way, but because you're scared to death of what mom and dad would say. Or what friends and family would say. Do you feel that your ethnic or racial makeup is better than others? Man, I'm thankful to be black. I don't apologize for it. But if you feel that you're superior to everybody else, that's a problem. Deep down in your heart, do you really feel superior? You know, you'll never, you'll never meet everybody's needs if you keep walking in the fear of man. I've had people over here call me woke and liberal. liberal. I've had people over here call me ultra-conservative. I've had people call me a colonizer, an Uncle Tom, and a sellout because I'm talking about what I'm saying to you now. It's that deeply rooted in us. Some of you here right now, you bitter as all get out. May the Lord deal with you. Here's the point. What we learn from Peter and Barnabas in their struggle with breaking bread is that you can preach Christ and not understand the implications of the gospel. Let me put it to you this way. You can preach Christ and live a segregated life in the midst of diversity. Most Christians preach Christ and they live segregated lives in the midst of diversity. The gospel destroys segregation and creates integration. One people, one savior, one body, one church. This is why I always say, if you really want to check where you really are, how this is flushing out for you, you only need to examine your dinner table and who you break bread with and who sits on your couch. That's the most vulnerable, intimate place of your life. Who's been on your couch lately? Who sits at your dinner table? Now, I'm not saying you have any struggles or I don't have any, but it could be that we got some blind spots. Growing in understanding and unity with others who aren't like you is more than who you vote for or what school you send your kids to or what church you attend or what seminar you took or what book or podcast you listen to. You can still hide in fear and live a segregated life in the midst of all of that. At the end of the day, your dinner table will teach you more about the glory of God and the beauty of his diverse image bearers than anything else. Who you grab lunch with, who you grab coffee with, reflects your closest friendships. That's why 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We haven't tasted the nations after service where we're eating and we're breaking bread. That's the whole goal. It's for you to finally sit down with people from different cultures and just to celebrate one another. And let me just say, if you're more excited about the food than the people, you missed the point. My prayer is the taste of the nations be happening at your house all the time. You got friends now. Maybe you should pray right now, Lord, would you somehow, Lord, in this room, in this church, would you give me two lifelong friends? Whether I'm in this church long term or not, I could move to the other side of the country. God, would you give me two lifelong friends? And they don't look nothing like me. We don't vote the same. We don't think the same. But man, do we love each other in Christ. And it was organic how we came together. So how do you overcome living as a segregated Christian? You glorify God by valuing and celebrating the beauty of his unique image bearers from all countries, ethnicities, races, and languages. We all are unique in Christ, created by Christ for Christ. And so as Pastor Kent prepares to come up, this is what we mean when we say valued and celebrated diversity. It means that we want to have God's heart for everyone, and we intentionally celebrate one another for his glory, and we don't apologize for it. The world's so divided, we need to show them something different. Amen? Amen. Man. 
Now that's my pastor right there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Pastor John and myself, we, we are unique in Christ. You just brought that uh, forward here, and that's, that's uh, so self-evident, right? But as we look around this room, there's always different ways we think of ourselves uh, being unique, and that is clearly true, that God created each and every one of us unique in our amazing way. And remember, we just sang, I was just thinking of that as Pastor John was preaching, you love us. Oh, how you love us, each and every one of us in our own unique individual ways. So we're talking about valuing and celebrating diversity. Pastor John just broke, uh, brought to us, we are unique in Christ. And our second uh, main way we live that out is that we are one in Christ. We are one in Christ. Let's look at uh, Revelation right back here, chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, and we'll go through it again as, it, as this truth comes right out of uh, these two verses. And it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, and before the Lamb. And even as uh, what has been declared, that even stands out even more, the power of all those uniquenesses coming together. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And in verse 10 says, And crying out with a loud voice. Sisters and brothers, we're going to be crying with a loud voice for all of eternity. Was it that we're going to be crying? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. Well, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. So when we think about that, that's actually what makes us one is what Christ has done for each and every one of us. He is the Lamb that was slain for us. And he makes us together as one. So the way we live out uh, being one in Christ, here's the first way, is that Christ's oneness unites us over all else. Christ's oneness unites us over all else. If we have chosen to receive Christ, then we truly are the sisters and brothers in Christ. We have the same Father. And then we can worship together just as we have been doing, worshiping our God together. You see, we are, who we are in Christ defines us first. Let me say it again. Who we are in Christ, that defines us first. Let's look at Galatians 3.28. Let's read this together. That, this declares this for us. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ. Again, that doesn't mean that there isn't males and females. There are, right? There's no different races, nationalities, ethnicities. But it's saying that who we are in Christ defines us first. See, every other category is secondary. So as I uh, stand up here right now, um, I have the privilege to be a pastor here at Chicago West. But that is secondary to who I am in Christ. Even as I say that, I'm picturing that, that picture of me as, uh, you know, at the restaurant, <laughs> as, uh, you know, people thinking that we're cops or whatever. I look like a pretty tough cop, I think. Uh, but, uh, but in that, you know, hey, it would be great to take on some different roles at different times, right? But whatever role we take on, whether you become a wife, you become a husband, you become a father, you become a boss, you become a teacher, whatever it is that you could become in a role, 
that's always going to be secondary to who we are in Christ because that is what defines defines us first. Hey, so I want us to think about, uh, go back a little bit. This is uh, Black History Month. I saw uh, some t-shirts yesterday that said Black History, period. I like that. Um, but uh, Sojourner Truth. All right, we, we got to uh, talk about her here real quick. Let's, let's look at uh, what is on her resume. She was born into slavery in 1797. She was the first former slave to petition in court and win to get her own child back out of slavery. A great leader of the abolitionist movement who relentlessly fought against the great horror of slavery. She also stood up and fought for women's rights in many various ways. She was a special guest of President Lincoln and Grant in the White House. And she was a guest there in the White House, even though she didn't even have the right to vote. But it didn't keep her from trying to go and vote many times. Can you picture Sojourner Truth trying to actually go to a voting booth? There's all these guys there, and she tries to, tries to vote. I could totally see that. See, I'm barely scratching the surface because she's actually on the Smithsonian Institute list of the 100 greatest American influencers in history. She should be greatly valued and celebrated. But here's the thing even that's true about Sojourner Truth, even with all that she accomplished against all odds. Who she is in Christ defines her first. And church, she would be the first one to declare that. Almost in all her speeches, the first thing that she included was her testimony, and it started, when I found Jesus. Amen. We can clap for that. She actually even changed her name to Sojourner Truth because of the Lord's leading. When the great Frederick Douglass was discouraged while speaking at a church about the abolitionist movement at the time, she stood up in the audience and she said this, Frederick, is God dead? And her faith rose up in that moment because Who she is in God defines her first. See, sisters and brothers, who we are in Christ defines us first. Everything else is secondary. Let's just bring that right to the current moment in time. I had the privilege to uh, recently go to an award ceremony. And uh, this was... uh, a ceremony that had a lot of those that are in the legal field. There was judges there. There were lawyers there. And a judge was being honored and a lawyer was being honored. But there's also a community activist being honored for community justice initiatives. And that was our own Martin Coffer. And uh, yes, yes, right here. You're valued and celebrated here, Martin. And so as he stood up, and there is much that was read about him that he has done, the thing he wanted to make clear with all those that were there, all these judges, all these lawyers, was that who he was in Christ defines him first. Amen. How he did that was just saying, Back in the day when I was 31 years old, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he went on about how God has changed his life. See, who we are in Christ defines us first. Christ's oneness unites us over all else. All else is secondary. So who we are... We are one in Christ because Christ's oneness unites us over all else. Here's the second thing. 
Christ's oneness produces unity, not uniformity. Unity, not uniformity. Pastor John talked a lot about this. And so let's look at John 17, 22 and 23. This is how uh, God shows us this very much at work, even in himself. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope. Amen. So as we are looking at this uh, verse, uh, John 17, 22, and 23, what is actually giving to us is that God himself declares this very thing, that he is unique. There are three parts in God in one. See, Jesus is crying out, would they be one as we are one? Well, how are they separate and unique? There's God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. And they're separate in their roles, their uniquenesses, they're unique in persons, but yet they're united together as one. We call that the Trinity. And can you just picture that, that Jesus Christ, our Savior, is praying that as God is one, as they are one, that we would be one. As sisters and brothers in Christ, that we would be one together. Even that right now, we think about what's, what's Jesus doing right now. He's praying that we would be one. That we would be one. See, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, and I started to read this just a little bit ago. And uh, this is the scripture that declares to us what is it that we're one about? What is it that we're united together in? So let's read this together. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, there's so many things that we are united together in one and declared in that one passage. That we have one God, we have one Savior, that we have one Spirit, that we have one faith, that we have one hope. See, God does produce unity, but he also doesn't produce uniformity. See, what happens is that oneness that we have, it stands out within our differences, See, in our differences, our oneness stands out because we value and celebrate God's creativity. You know, I'm uh, grateful for uh, my wife, and she's an art teacher, and uh, she loves colors. That's appropriate for an art teacher, right, to love colors? And, uh, and so she wants colors represented. And uh, here's the thing that she's told me um, over the years is that actually science has determined that we have amazing eyes, right? And our eyes are able to do so many uh, different things at once. And uh, one of the things is actually to take in the colors that are out here and to sort of uh, process them and sort of for us to see the colors. But here's the thing that scientists have figured out is that our eyes aren't able to determine all the colors that actually are in existence. You know that? that there's probably hundreds if not thousands of colors that our eyes can't even take in. As Pastor John has declared, our God is a creator. He is creative, and he created us with differences. And someday we're going to actually, in eternity, we're going to actually be take in all these colors that we don't even know and all the vibrances, things that are out there. But it's also true in us as we've been made in the image of God that our oneness stands out within our differences. But here's the thing that's got to be important to us as well then, is our oneness stands up within disagreements. See, as sisters and brothers in Christ, we must celebrate different perspectives and different thoughts. we got to practice this from God's word, 
that we'll be quick to listen and slow to speak. If we're trying to come together in unity, but also know that there's uniquenesses that were different, the first thing we have to do is be quick to listen. In church, I believe we've been practicing this, but we've got to keep practicing this because everything in the world is going to be quick to speak and not ready to listen to those that are different than us, that have different perspectives than us. But in the church, in the body of Christ, by the Spirit, we are to listen first to each other and get to know why people have the perspectives they do and understand things that we haven't understood on our own. How amazing is it to have hundreds or thousands of different perspectives represented and for us to learn from each one of those? But also be slow to speak. So rather than be thinking about, well, what my answer is to that issue or to that agenda item or whatever that is, that we'd actually be listening and trying to understand Because see, our oneness, it stands up within disagreements if it's through Christ. We are one in Christ through Christ's oneness uniting us over all else, through his oneness producing unity, not uniformity. And here's the last one. Christ's oneness proves that we are his. It proves that we are his. Let's look at John 13, 35. It says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, that's uh, the truth right there, that if we have love for one another, we get to show who we are in Christ. And prove that we are his. See, when we love in oneness, we overcome what divides others. When we love in oneness, we overcome what divides others. The things that so easily happen in the world that are so troubling right now, that are so discouraging, that are happening, that are going on. See, through Christ's oneness, through our love for each other, we can overcome what divides others. But on the flip side of that, church, is this. When we don't overcome what divides others, we rob our own testimony. We rob our own witness when we're not willing to do that. And so as we come here at this time, and as Pastor John has always encouraged us, talking about the Samaritans and going to those that we wouldn't go to, is there anything that's going on in our lives that's robbing ourselves of our witness? Something that we're not willing to overcome that's different or that would easily divide those on the outside of the body of Christ? Again, I'm not asking for us to compromise what we read in Ephesians 4 about all the things of the one things that we're committed to, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? One faith, one hope that we have through Christ. But outside of what we believe and hold on to, are we willing to overcome what divides others? So if we do that, then this is what happens. When we love in oneness, It screams out that we are his children. When we love in oneness, it screams out that we are his children. People can read the sign out there, this Chicago West Bible Church, or we can carry a Bible or even have the name tag Christian, but how will the world know that we are his? By how we love one another. Amen. That's how we get to scream out that we are sisters and brothers in Christ. See, Chicago West, we value diversity because it screams out our oneness in Christ. 
We celebrate diversity because it screams out our oneness in Christ. And we're grateful that we can come together in his name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor John. As we prepare to pray, thank you. Thank you. If you could put that verse on love back on the screen um, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. I really want us to just really think about the implications of that because the reality is when we leave here, when you go back to the school district you, go, you, you work in or you go back to the office you go in, if you ask the average unbeliever, do Christians love one another, they're going to say no. It's the reason why many of our kids are bitter and don't care about going to church. Because it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter what verse you quote, what picture you hang on the wall. If people don't see love, it doesn't matter. Paul says, I can have all the knowledge and all that, but if I don't love, I am nothing. He says, I can give my body to be a martyr. I could die over this, but if I do not have love, I have nothing. I can preach great, I can have all the knowledge, but if I don't have love, I have nothing. So it means if we won't stand with each other, in moments of injustice, knowing that it'll cost us something. We can't love each other. If we won't intentionally show value to one another, when the world around us doesn't value each other, it won't matter to people. If we don't look for ways to intentionally celebrate one another, then it won't matter to people. You could talk about Jesus all you want, but you're going to invite them into a divided body? Who wants to be in that? So let's start fresh today, and let's just say, Lord, would you do a new thing in my heart? That's my prayer. And what a best way to start than to start with a meal, to sit at a table together with different countries and ethnicities and backgrounds and say, man, you know what? I have no agenda except to celebrate you and break bread, man. Tell me what it was like growing up. just want to get to know you. What am I eating again? What's going on? What's in this? Man, it tastes good, man. Let's, let's hang out again. Let's change exchange numbers. And so what we want to do right now is we asked our sister Michelle to come up and to just close us out in a time of prayer. And we asked her to just pray in her native language and then to pray for us as the Spirit leads and then we'll close out and worship. Hermoso Padre, te alabamos por ser creador y por hacernos a cada uno de nosotros a tu imagen. Te alabamos por darnos un vistazo de quién eres a través de tu creación y cada obra maestra en esta sala. Te alabamos por crear nuestras entrañas y formarnos en el vientre de nuestra madre, por hacernos con diferentes marcos, habilidades intelectos, temperamentos, fortalezas y debilidades, altos y bajos, introvertidos, extrovertidos, hombre y mujer, de diferentes países y culturas, caucásicos, hispanos, asiáticos o africanos. No es una coincidencia, no es un error, no es sin sentido, fue tu plan y nos amaste así. Realmente eres asombroso, Señor. Como nos creaste tiene propósito. Somos obra tuya, creados en Cristo Jesús para buenas obras, para desnudar de forma única tu imagen. Te alabamos porque en Cristo Jesús todos somos hijos de Dios por la fe. Que no hay judío ni gentil, esclavo ni libre, hombre ni mujer, porque todos somos uno en Cristo Jesús. Nos arrepentimos, Señor, por las formas en que nos hemos no hemos administrado bien la forma en que nos has creado únicos para llevar tu imagen, por la manera que no hemos buscado estar en unidad con nuestros hermanos y hermanas que son diferentes a nosotros, por la manera que pensamos más o menos de los demás o de nosotros mismos. Perdónanos Padre, te pedimos Espíritu Santo que nos ayudes a comprender las profundidades y maravillas de cómo nos has creado y los roles importantes que desempeñamos en tu cuerpo y en tu reino. Al salir de estas puertas, ayúdanos a vivir la verdad de que somos un cuerpo en Cristo e individualmente miembros unos de otros, que somos indispensables y que si uno sufre, todos sufrimos. Y asimismo, si uno se alegra, todos nos alegramos. 
Ayúdanos en nuestra singularidad y como un solo cuerpo a representar bien a Cristo. Gracias porque tú cantas sobre nosotros, te deleitas en la forma en que nos hiciste. Somos tu posesión especial, somos tu artesanía especial, somos la niña de tus ojos, somos amados. Anhelamos el día en que toda nación, tribu, pueblo y lengua estará ante tu trono y ante, ante Cristo Jesús el Cordero. Amén. I'm going to say it in English. So, beautiful Father, we praise you for being creator, for making each of us in your image. We praise, for, we praise you for giving us a glimpse of who you are through each masterpiece in this room. We praise you for forming our inward parts and knitting us together in our mother's womb, for making us with different frames, abilities, intellects, temperaments, strengths, and weaknesses, tall, short, introverted, extroverted, male or female, from different countries and cultures, Caucasian, Hispanic, Asian, African, or black. It is not a coincidence. It is not a mistake. It's not meaningless. It was your plan and you loved us. Wonderful are your works indeed, Lord. There's purpose in the way you crafted us. We are your handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to uniquely bear your image, to uniquely make you known, to uniquely struggle and know the heart of Christ. We praise you that in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. We repent, Lord, for the ways we've, we have not stewarded well the way you've uniquely made, made us to bear your image, for the way we have not sought to be in unity with our brothers and sisters who are different than us, for thinking more or less of others or ourselves. Forgive us, Father. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to help us grasp the depths and wonders of the ways you created us and the important roles we play in your body and your kingdom. As we walk out these doors, Holy Spirit, help us live out the truth that we are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, that we are indispensable and that if one suffers, we all suffer. And likewise, if one rejoices, we all rejoice. Help us in our uniqueness and as one body to represent Christ well through the way we love. Thank you, Father, for, for you sing over us. You delight in the ways you made us. We are your special, special possession. We are your special crafting. We are the apple of your eye. We are your beloved. We long for the day that every nation, tribe, people, and tongue will stand before the throne and before Christ Jesus the Lamb. Thank you for listening to Chicago West Sunday Sermons. Join us next week.